Hello and welcome to the Double Double. My name is David Dixon and it is Wednesday, September 16th here in New York City. Hope everyone is doing well, staying safe and are healthy as we continue to battle the coronavirus. Coming up today on the podcast is a really fun conversation I had earlier today with my younger brother, Michael. We hit on the NBA playoffs. We hit on the NFL week one and previewing week two. For anyone who's a loyal listener and remembers back in August before the playoffs started, Michael was a big Denver Nuggets proponent, said that they could go on a run this postseason. And he was right. The Nuggets are in the Western Conference Finals after beating the Clippers last night in a huge, huge Game 7 win, coming back again from a 3-1 deficit. We break it all down. We talk about it. Give him the floor to talk about how much he loves that team. And also, a little later, to rant about one of his other teams that didn't do so well this past week. So it was a really, really fun conversation. Can't wait for you guys to hear it. Uh, yeah, so I'm going to hit the music. And when we come back, is my conversation from earlier today with my brother, Michael. Joining me now on the Double Double, special guest, frequent guest, I should add, our official Denver Nuggets correspondent, Denver Nuggets, I don't want to say super fan, but true believer, my brother Michael, who is at school, undisclosed location, but he's still rocking out his Denver Nuggets fandom. Mike, big night last night. How are you feeling this morning? Uh after that big, crazy Game 7 win? Well, first of all, I want to start by saying I'm always thrilled and honored to be on the Double Double podcast, joining you from any location in the world. Number two, I just woke up with this song ringing in my ears. I think a lot of people did. It was whispers about, and and it went something like, them boys is chums, you know what I mean? They keep running from the grind. They keep switching teams. And ultimately, we found out last night that those Clippers is chumps. And uh, Dame tried to warn us about it. He was vindicated. Uh, the Nuggets made him look like chumps all night. To go out, not even competitively, to have be down over 20 points at times in the fourth quarter for Jokic with under 30 seconds to be able to throw a no-look behind-the-back pass on you. The disrespect. It was disrespectful. But honestly, the Clippers invited that disrespect when they have guys like Patrick Beverly and Morris and Harrell, who disrespect their opponents on a nightly basis, that finally when the dog bites back, it's sort of like, I don't bl- I don't feel bad that you stuck your hand in, into the junkyard. Yeah, so just for any listeners who aren't as engaged on NBA Twitter as the two of us, after uh, one of the seeding games in the bubble, Damian Lillard missed, did he miss both free throws, Mike, or, or, or just one? I he believe it was both. both. Yeah. So punch time in a seeding game against the Clippers. Yeah, and Patrick Beverly was not playing in that game, and he was taunting or uh, making noises from the bench, trying to distract Lillard, like you know what every student section does at every college <laughs> basketball game or whatever fan or whatever arena does. But the difference was that in the bubble, you can really hear what they're saying, and these are your peers. And Lillard missed, and it created some controversy on on social media after the game as the Clippers took some shots at Dame for his nickname Dame Time, and then Dame fired back because he had eliminated Patrick Beverly a few years ago when Beverly was a member of the Rockets on a buzzer beater. And then he'd also eliminated Paul George in the 2019 postseason with that crazy sidestep three-pointer that George called that was a bad shot, and then Lillard said, well, it went in. Anyway, that set up this series. After the game, 
after the Nuggets won, Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, his teammate in Portland, poked poked some fun at uh, at the Clippers' expense. Back to the game for a second, though. The Los Angeles Clippers, who were one of the three main title contenders at the whole season with the Lakers and the, and the Milwaukee Bucks, scored 33 points in the second half. Mm-hmm. Paul George and Kawhi Leonard did not s- score in the fourth quarter. That's right. This was a complete collapse by one of the so-called best teams in the NBA, but it fit a narrative with them all season of ex- only consistency about their team was that they were inconsistent, that they did not bring it every night. They would ebb and flow. And when you have a team like the Nuggets who play hard, play consistently hard, play as a team, you can get results like like this. And before we get back to the Clippers, I want to talk about the brilliance of the Nuggets because they won. We should talk about them first. Nikola Jokic, 16 points. 22 rebounds, 13 assists, three blocks, two steals, and 40 minutes of action. Just an incredible, just an incredible performance. He was the best player on the court in this series, which I don't think anyone would have expected anyone to say that in a series with Kawhi Leonard. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, Jokic. And, and I was just saying, Jokic is your favorite player. What is it like seeing your dude dominate? at this stage yeah i mean it's it's incredible it's incredibly vindicating because i've been a big Jokic fan for a while and i'm I'm glad he's performing well in these playoffs i think he's starting to get some more of that national love that people are seeing that he's not just a funny looking slow white guy he really can he can really hoop and he can really score and he can really pass and so that major triple double with all those rebounds all those all those dimes and just getting consistent buckets whenever he can I think it's he's putting himself on a national stage. And I also think I don't want to ignore Jamal Murray having an incredible run against the Jazz in their in their series in the For first sure. round. And he had forty points last night in game seven and an insane three pointer where the game it was icing on the cake. Run. Yeah, it was icing on the cake. So the Clippers could definitely have come back, but it wasn't you know, I mean it wasn't a total lock away yet, and so that that awesome three pointer he hit, I think no one would have predicted Jamal Murray and Jokic to outplay Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, but that's what happened, and I'm excited to see what they do in the next round. And it's really interesting, too, when, when you talk about Jokic and all the assists he had, was that he made so many great passes, whether it's looking off one defender to get the help going one way and then firing it cross-court to a three or staying on the same side, you know, finding the open guy. He also gets the ball in the post. The, the Nuggets did such a great job at cutting to the basket, and Jokic found Jeremy Grant. He found Gary Harris, Millsap, Murray. On all these cuts towards the rim that resulted in layups, got the Domus falling, kicked it out for other shots, or guys just got fouled at the rim. Jokic had 13 assists, but he also had tons and tons of passes that led to free throw attempts for... <laughs> The Denver Nuggets. Then that doesn't show up in the box score when you're watching. You just see the the type of impact he's having. And on the flip side, you're like, the the Clippers are letting these guys, these so called good defenders on the Clippers. And you could say it was an off game, but it was really just the last three or four games and really all series. Guys were getting and face cutting the superstars on the Clippers to get in front of the rim, which was really concerning. 
Yeah, so I, I honestly, I don't really know where the Clippers go from here because they traded the house to get Paul George to come with Kawhi Leonard. They have this monumental collapse. I don't know if they, it doesn't seem like they're going to have the cap space to go get another major star to team up with them, like what happened with the Warriors getting KD when they blew their 3-1 lead. I don't know, I don't think they tear it down, but I wonder what their moves are to improve the roster if they switch up something in the starting line. I'm just, I'm really, I'd be concerned about the Clippers' future if I was a Clippers fan, which thankfully I'm not. (laughs) Yeah, so the, the Clippers are in a really interesting spot. So as you said, to... In the Paul George trade last summer, they traded all their first-round picks outright and including the option to pick swap to the Oklahoma City Thunder until 2026. And then this year, they got Marcus Morris from the Knicks and they gave up their 2020 first-rounder. So they don't control their own first-round pick for seven years. That is really concerning when you talk about just the team building aspect of how can this team get better and the assets that they can uh, give up to get better. And the other part that more and more people are talking about today as we're recording this late Wednesday, the 16th, more and more people are noticing and, and really remembering that when Kawhi and Paul George signed last summer, that they signed a two plus two, which was they signed a two year deal with player options, that this could be over next summer. Kawhi Leonard could opt out next summer and say, I'm going somewhere else to try to win a championship. We don't have it anymore here. And Montrezl Harrell is a free agent, I I believe, at, at, the, end of, at the end of this season. This, this team could be really, really short-lived. I would have to wonder if they say, is Doc Rivers the right guy to lead this team from a basketball perspective? Because Doc Rivers couldn't get his team to play consistently couldn't gel the chemistry at all. Now something all season that this team really struggled with by tons of reporting. There was a great article in The Athletic by Sam Amick back in January that really detailed the chemistry issues with, with this team. Highly recommend everyone going to, to read that because when you have a team like the Clippers where Kawhi Leonard is a quiet lead-by-example guy, Paul George is a quiet lead-by-example guy who's really struggled in the playoffs, but you also have Kawhi with the load management of seemingly quote-unquote taking games off when other guys on the team are striving and playing through all the bumps and the nicks and 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 the grind and the bruises that is an 82 game slog through the regular season and you have the best player who's not going through that it can create animosity it can create it can create resentment between the guys on the team they have some chemistry issues that that they need to figure out and if you can't really overhaul the roster that much mm-hmm. In professional sports, the coach becomes the fall guy, unfortunately, in a lot of ways. Yeah, I think, I mean, I do think Rivers deserves a lot of blame for that monumental collapse because I'm pretty sure I saw a statistic today that out of all the blown 3 1 leads in playoff history, Doc Rivers has coached and has been the head coach in 23% of them. Three of them, yep. Uh, So he's, this seems to be a problem of not being able to put people away. So I don't know if it's the worst thing if he is one of the people who heads us have to roll out for this season. And I think the Thunder are coming out looking like geniuses in this because they got Shea Gojus Alexander, who had an awesome season. He's looking like a budding a star. I don't know if he's going to be a true superstar, but he looks like he has at least the potential to be a third or second option on a really on a real, on a contending team. Yep. They have like we talked about. They actually, I'm pretty sure the Clippers also include the 2026 first round pick. So they have the Clippers picks. 
until oh yeah you're right he doesn't give her own pick until 2027 you're right yeah so and it's to me it's the hinky uh thinking which i don't know if any of the fans of the podcast are really aware of hinky's sam hinky of the uh philadelphia 76ers who's his whole philosophy is get as many picks as possible because you just need one or two to hit mm. that's kind of like how the thunder have set themselves up because they don't now need to nail every draft they don't have to nail this year's pick they just need one of those picks in the next couple of years while Gilders Alexander's young to be so invaluable. And now you have a really you have a really solid foundation of a team. I think they're gonna get stuff for CP three this I think they're gonna be off offers for him. And they're you know, man, so I think they have, I think the Thunder are in an incredible position, a much better long term outlook than the Clippers. The one caveat I'll add is that the Clippers still have Jerry West as their GM or president of operations. Very true. Very true. And he is an incredible ops guy. So I, I'm always skeptical of picking a team run by him being a true bottom feeder in the league. Yeah. But with, with the way the, the lottery odds have lined out, like I said, you just ne- you just need that pick next year or in the next couple of years to somehow land into the top five. And boom, all of a sudden, the Thunder are looking like one of the best teams in the West. And it's also, as, as we've seen throughout the last five or so years in the NBA with the disgruntled superstar or the superstar who or the all-star who's approaching free agency and doesn't want to re-sign those guys can end up on different teams through trades and having the assets of the first round picks and some young talent to go get if sga turns into an all-star they can go and kind of trade and, and and at least have the pieces to make potential deals work for the next superstar or all-star who is unhappy with their current situation do what do you think? Getting back to the Nuggets here in the Western Conference Finals, they're matching up against the Los Angeles Lakers, LeBron James, Anthony Davis. As a Nuggets supporter and a fan of their team, you're rooting for them. How do you think this series will play out? And just are you cautiously optimistic about this, or are you confident? Like, like, what's your confidence level? So here's the thing, and I, I think I've made it very clear on this show how much I love the Nuggets, Jamal Murray, Jokic, Mike Malone. I think Michael Porter Jr. has star written all over him. I want to make that very, very clear how much I like the Nuggets, what they've done this season, and what their out, outcast looks like. You are on the record as pro-Nugget. Very pro-Nuggets. I think it's I think it's Lakers in five. Whoa, gentlemen sweep. Wow. I, I, think, I think the Lakers, I, I, someone I was talking to you today made a really good point. I think LeBron heard all that Kawhi comparisons, heard all that talk that he's no longer in that upper. He, that there's guys t- like nipping at his heels. And I think he's going to make an example that the team that just beat the Clippers in seven, he can take care of more easily. Uh, I just, I do wonder if the Nuggets are just going to not have enough firepower because I do think while they just, while Murray and Jokic just outplayed Leonard and Paul George, I don't think they're going to outplay James and Davis. And like we talk about, it's a star-driven league. The, the teams with the best stars typically always have the best odds. And so it's really hard for me to pick against the guys who I think are the team who's going to have, I think, the two best players. Mm. And again, I, I think Jamal Murray is pushing himself into a top 20, maybe top 15 player. And I think Jokic is in that bottom of the top 10. We're talking about two guys who are top five players. And I think it it's it, very real case that's LeBron one, Davis three or four. Yeah. I just think that's too much star power for the Nuggets to overcome. Now, again, I'm rooting. I'm rooting for the Nuggets. Right. Yeah, want, for sure. I love the Nuggets. Yeah. It's really hard for me to logically see how they how they're able to match, how they're able to beat the Lakers. I, I, I 
like I said, I hope to see it. I hope I'm wrong and I come back on a couple of weeks in the podcast and I have to eat my words. <laughs> well, but like I said, it, it's really hard for me right now to see how they get past James and Davis. Well, what, what's interesting about it is that Jamal Murray in this series impressed me even more than in the Utah series because of how he was able to keep getting to the paint in this series against the great perimeter defenders that the Clippers have. He was able to get by guys, get to his floaters, get to his layups, get to his little turnaround jumpers, all in the middle of the floor, which is something that people thought that the Clippers would be able to shut down. If he's doing that against Kawhi and Paul George and Pat Bev, I think he'll be able to do that against KCP and Alex Caruso, guys who are good NBA defenders, but if he was doing it, doing it against the best in the league, mm-hmm. I think he'll be able to do that against Danny Green and KCP and Caruso and, and the guys who I mentioned because LeBron and, and Davis, I think, are going to be spending a lot of time dealing with Jokic and coming up with creative ways to to give him different looks and to, and to take away his, his passing angles. I can almost see LeBron playing like a free safety type thing to try to... Uh, be almost like the way Ed Reed would with with those Ravens teams of mess yeah. up the mess up the quarterback and just mess up the way that that he reads the defense. But I think I would have some confidence level if I'm if I'm the Nuggets because with Jokic, Davis is not going to want to play the five and guard him forty minutes a game for this whole series. The Lakers have to play Dwight and they have to play Javale and they are good rim protectors. Dwight fouls a lot, as Coach Daniel mentioned on my podcast last week. But the more that JaVale and Dwight are on the court, the more it messes up the spacing offensively for the Lakers with LeBron and Davis. And we saw that in the Utah series, which is that when you have someone like Gobert who can't really space the floor and it has to be in that dunker spot, it can take away driving lanes. Didn't really work out that well because Donovan Mitchell dominated that that series. But I think that that plays a little bit into the advantage of the Denver Nuggets. So, And I also think that the Nuggets in elimination games are a completely different team. And so I'm going to say Lakers in seven uh, out of respect for the Nuggets, but you got Lakers in five. But I mean, I, I, the one thing I'll say about that, uh, I think you bring up some good points. My my biggest concern, and I think we saw Gobert was able to plenty of times give Jokic troubles yep. um, on the offensive end. Uh, I'm saying when, when Gobert's the offensive player. Yeah. And to me, and like again, again, I love Jokic. That's alarming because I think it's really alarming if Rudy Gobert is able to consistently beat you inside. So and I think the one reason they had a big advantage over the Clippers, I just don't think the Clippers forwards are that good. I think Harold's the sixth man of the year. He's a good backup and role player. And I think Zubac is a similar thing. Zubac was but good. They just didn't play him enough. I just think what I think going against Anthony Davis is a different animal because he's got the length, he's got the athleticism, and he has you know, triple the skill Rudy Gobert will ever have in his career. Mm-hmm. So I think he's going to give him a lot of issues. Not like I said, they might be, a, they, they might be a wash with Jokic on offense and him on defense. He's a very good defender. You know I mean? Like that might be like the more even matchup. I think there's a really good chance Davis starts torching Jokic. Yeah. That, that, that's going to create problems. So like you said, but the Lakers adjusted to give them credit. They realize that having Howard and JaVale messed up some stuff for their spacing so when they spaced the floor more and had Davis as the only real big guy with LeBron out there, they were dominant. Right, they were dominant. So it's so like I said, it's hard for me to overlook. I don't think Jokic can guard Davis one on one. So if you have Davis, LeBron, and you know pick your you know pick your arsenal of the three Lakers players, be Danny Green, KCP, uh, what's it called, Caruso. You know what I mean? Like pick your guys. Right. Yeah. 
the Nuggets a lot of issues. Interesting, interesting. Switching over to the East, very quickly, the Heat beat the Celtics last night as well on Tuesday night. In overtime, Jimmy Buckets, Jimmy Butler hit a big three at the end of regulation. Jason Tatum went cold, missed like his last seven or eight shots in the fourth quarter and overtime. Kemba really struggled as well. The Heat kind of, you know, I don't want to say that they stole this one because it was it's a very even matchup, but this was a game that could have gone either way. What do you think of this series and just uh and just the prospects uh of the Heat making maybe making it to the finals? I've I'm a big Jimmy Butler guy. I think it's probably the biggest thing we disagree about yeah. from an NBA standpoint. And, I mean, consistently and, and vehemently. And by the way, you're proving me wrong this whole postseason. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that, but of course we'll always see how everything will play out. I, I do appreciate that vindication. I think it's going to be Heat in six or seven. Wow. I yeah, I think, what's it called? I think, I think there's going to be something poetic about Bam getting that final block. I think Bam Adebayo is going to be the key. I'm really not a fan of Tice or Thice, however you say his name, of the Celtics. Yeah, Tice. I'm not really, yeah, I'm not really a fan of anybody, uh, any of the Celtics' big guys except Fall. <laughs> but the reason the Celtics were able to give the Raptors a lot of issues from a spacing perspective when they took their big guy off, the, when they when uh, Raptors had the sl- sort of like the slow, slower-footed big guys like Ibaka and Gasol, that the Celtics Celtics wings were able to give that a lot of issues because they have great spacing. Mm-hmm. But I was just watching a video about this when the Raptors adjusted by having Ananobi take the take the five. Technically, it, it messed up all that spacing. And I think Adebayo gives him the size, and he can still move and beyond the beyond the guys. He's the ultimate X factor to me because he can guard the guard the rim and stay in front of guys on the perimeter. I think Butler's an absolute dog. I think Hero look Hero looks incredible. Mm-hmm. He, I, he, I mean, he, he must have used those four months to literally just work out. Yeah. <laughs> He's come back. I mean, I always I thought Hero had some real nice qualities. I did not expect him being this good. Goran Dragic is recapturing some of his old form. So I think, and don't get me wrong, it's not to take anything away from the Celtics. They still have probably the best coach in the league. Tatum has become an absolute star. I'm a big fan of Brown. I think he's an emerging star. I think Cardiac Kemba can really give you give you clutch buckets. But I think it's Heat in six. Interesting. I I think the Celtics are going to win the series in seven, partially just because I think that they're they have more good players than the Heat do, if that makes sense. Like mm-hmm. their top three or top four is better than the Heat's top four. And but right. the Heat are a perfectly put together basketball team. I would not be surprised if the Heat won this game. I think it's a toss up series. It's gonna go seven. But I think just from what I saw in game one, Tatum is unstoppable as long as he doesn't settle the way that he does at the end of games like he did in game one for bad faraway jumpers. But when he's aggressive and he gets to his spots, he's unstoppable. I think Kemba will shoot a lot better than he did in game one. But on the flip side, Drogic, it torched him. Drogic uh, played really, really well. He's the X factor. I think Bam obviously is great, but I think that the, all that the heat have gotten from Drogic, this, this whole playoffs has just been incredible to see. This is probably the best basketball Drogic has played in, in his whole life. Uh, and it's just, it's just awesome to see a guy who has battled injuries throughout his career. Who's always been good, but has always kind of been dealing with, uh, off the court stuff, just, just with his body, just, uh, being hurt. And we see him back. It's, it's awesome to see, but I think this is a toss up. I'll say Celtics in seven. 
uh, just because I think they have the best player in the series in Jason Tatum. Mm-hmm. But so flipping over to the NFL, week one is in the books. It was an exciting week of football. It felt a little weird that football was back. I kind of talked about on last week's show, just with everything going on. But once the games got underway, fantasy football was going on, It a feeling of normalcy sat uh, set in for a little bit, and then it pans to the crowd and there's no fans, and you're reminded of everything going on. What did you think of the first weekend and the first week of football in 2020? So, as the listeners may or may not know, I'm a Philadelphia Eagles fan. So my weekend was pretty crummy. Um, <laughs> I was. It was going great. It was going great for the first half an hour, 45 minutes of, of Sunday. But things quickly went downhill. I was furious with the Eagles' collapse. I I love Carson Wentz. I think he's still an elite quarterback. But his, his, his performance from basically five minutes to go in the half on is unacceptable. I mean, it truly, it was laughable. It was terrible. And no one who considers themselves an elite quarterback or makes top dollar should be, should, should be playing like that. And I would also love to add one, one more chance to publicly express my displeasure with Howie Roseman and the fact that he took Jalen Hurts, a quarterback, with our second overall pick. We had major second round pick at linebacker, cornerback, safety. How we could even use some offensive line depth, but no, he decided to go extra double. He he decided he wanted to be the smartest guy in the room and prove how much more he knew than everybody else. He took Jalen Hurts. Now there's already dumb fans on Twitter calling for Wentz's head and to put Hurts in. He wasn't even active for the game. It just it drives me insane that all we've tried to do is make this Carson Wentz's team and get past the sort of the cloud of Nick Foles. And the first thing we do in that move is drafting a quarterback. So I'm, I'm pretty disappointed with what the Eagles look like now. We're already the most injured team in the league because of course we are. <laughs> so honestly, I think I'm very concerned about the Eagles after that game. I, before this game, before the game, I was thinking us about 10 and six, the fact that we lost to the football team, a team with no mascot and no name, that they're they just played hungrier than us. They we have this model of hungry dogs run faster. Like that's been a big staple. And we looked like fat pot belly pigs at that game. And I'm Whoa, just, harsh words from Mike. Well because I'll be the first guy to come on this podcast if we were to ever win the Super Bowl again and tell you how how good we are. But I have to I can only trust my lying eyes and ears and they tell me that this is just not a very well constructed football team right now. We have guys at linebacker who I've never, I've never even really heard of, and I'm a, I follow the Eagles religiously, and I'm like, who's this guy? <laughs> well, so just for the listeners, the Washington football team beat the Eagles 27 to 17. You guys jumped out to a 17 to nothing lead, and I think a lot of it, what what it came down to, is what people were talking about with Washington coming into the coming into the season, which was this defensive line has a chance to be really, really special, and they sacked Carson Wentz eight times. Carson had two turnovers. Washington's quarterback, Dwayne Haskins, didn't really make any mistakes. Was he good? I wouldn't say that he was good. His QBR was under 50, 45.5, which you know isn't very good. He was 17 for 31, only 178 yards. But he didn't turn the ball over. He didn't make any mistakes. He didn't lose the game for them. You know, mm-hmm. He let the defense 
dominate and and give them a, a chance to win. And that's what's and that's how Washington is going to compete this year because of that defensive line. If I was you guys, uh, Miles Sanders out your your top back. Uh, you're getting the rust off from the summer and, and the off season because it's been a long off season. I wouldn't be too concerned. I would be. I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad you're more confident than I am. I we do need to get Lane Johnson back. He can make a lot, a lot of of a difference for what our issues are right now. But I just can't. It's hard for me to get over that right now. It's just really hard for me to see the light at the end of the tunnel when we just have so many injuries. Uh, our offensive line's kind of in shambles. I like I said, I'm I'm very I'm a little bit. I don't think we're doomed. I don't want to make it. I should sorry. I shouldn't say the way phrase the way I phrased it. I don't think we're doomed. Mm-hmm. I think we have a very narrow window to get to right the ship. Of course, with all this being said, watching Doug Peterson the last this is his fifth year. I guess fifth year with Wentz's fifth year. Watching all Doug Peterson football, we'll start the season like zero and seven, and still somehow finish nine and seven. Because <laughs> well, he loves he just loves to torture the Eagles fans. Well. It could be worse. You could be like me and be a New York Giants fan, where the expectation for this year was, God, if we could get to six and ten or even seven and nine, we may throw a parade. And we didn't play well against the Steelers. Daniel Jones, Dimes had two just in all caps brutal interceptions, one at the goal line and one he just completely just didn't see TJ Watt. Mm-hmm. Tough start. We couldn't get Saquon going. He had like negative rushing yards for most of the game. Really ugly. You could always be us, bud. But I guess that's true. But talking, but talking about other games from from week one, I previewed last week on the show: Packers, Vikings. That was one of my games to watch, as it was an Aaron Rodgers, uh, "Fu, prove it to the world, I'm still the man. I I still got this." And I'm going to toot my own horn a little bit. He did that. The Packers won the game, 43 to 34, in Minnesota. Rodgers played. Rodgers was brilliant. He was. 32 for 44 from the uh, on completions, 364 yards, four touchdowns, didn't take a sack. His QBR was 92.9 for the folks at home. That's really good. It's, it's out of 100. Uh, Rodgers was was great. It was a, he just he poured it on the Vikings, just poured it on. And maybe we'll see this year that he's going for that third MVP award to say you took Jordan Love, Jordan Love. You seem like a nice kid. You seem like you may have some some talent, but you're going to be sitting on that bench the way I did for three years because I am not done yet. Yeah, and I think it would also sort of be the ultimate way for Aaron Rodgers to end his career. Yep. <laughs> to be inspired not by you know money, legacy, all of this that he was pissed off that the management didn't believe in him. I think it would be the per- I think it would be fitting that that's how Aaron Rodgers goes out in a blaze of glory. As a gun, as one of the last gunslingers of the old regime, that's yep. still still slinging the rock around the league. So I think that would be a perfect ending for him. It's just to be petty and make Jordan Love sit for as long as possible until he basically has no juice left. And another game I want to mention that I previewed last time: the New England Patriots. Bill Belichick is officially one and zero in the post Tom Brady era. Uh, <laughs> as, as much as that works, they beat the Dolphins twenty one eleven. Look for any gamblers out there. And if the NCAA is listening, I do not condone gambling. I'm not sponsoring gambling. Neither do I. As an NCAA athlete, I would never gamble. Gambling I'm, I'm is bad. Gambled. But the Patriots have – they are the eighth best team 
in terms of odds and Las Vegas to win the Super Bowl. They're currently plus 2,200. Vegas thinks that they're really good. Uh, they have their, the, the team ahead of them is Brady's current team, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but they think that the Pats are the third best team in the AFC right now. And I think that's dangerous because just watching them play as a someone who doesn't really like the Patriots, Cam Newton gives such a dimension to their offense that they never had before. He looks he looked good, he looked healthy. I think we may have another parade in Boston this this uh this February, assuming parades are allowed. Yeah. yeah, I mean look, I think Cam Newton, like you said, I think he's the biggest X factor. I thought he looked real strong his first game. I do wonder if he, his some of his throwing limitations, but he's always had some accuracy issues uh, throughout his whole career in Carolina. And I wonder, if, I wonder if as the games get bigger, right? They talk about how quarterbacks really need to beat you with their arm. And I remember the biggest. I remember one of the most damning things I read about Newton was that they talked about Wade Phillips in that 2015 Super Bowl. His plan against uh, the defensive coordinator for the Broncos when they played the Panthers was he found that Newton basically never scrambled out of the pocket. He did a lot of running on design runs. Yeah. And they had a lot of guys in the backfield, extra tight ends, running backs, chip to give him a lot of time to sort of rip it because he was really ripping it that year. And he's, his adjustment was basically we're going to play straight man coverage constantly. Anytime you see a running back or a tight end, if he doesn't go if he doesn't go on a route, you go blitz cam. And basically said we're going to throw five or six at him every single play. And he, he we're going to make him beat us with his arm because he can't do it. And I do still wonder if some of those issues are always going to chase him. Is that can he really thread the needle and beat teams with his arm? But I think he's all, the the Cam Newton era to replace the Tom Brady dynasty is off to a very encouraging start. Also, just the Belichick McDaniel's factor that was something he didn't have in Carolina. Even though Ron Rivera was a good is, is a good coach, and that team was really good. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Other game, last two games from Week One, I, w- I want to highlight uh, Bucks Saints. Is another game I previewed. Good game. Brady struggled, but hey, it's his first year with this team. A lot of new faces uh, after a long offseason. I'm concerned about the Arians-Brady dialogue this week about the interceptions he threw. And Arians just seems like a guy who doesn't sugarcoat it with the media, doesn't really do coach speak. He actually just kind of says what he thinks, which is weird to hear because a lot of that gets handled internally. And all of a sudden we're hearing like, wait, did Bruce Arians really say that Tom Brady, it was Tom Brady's fault on that interception instead of just saying, like, the Belichick, like, we'll look at the tape and we can't decide until we look at the tape, you know? And uh, I'm a little concerned about that. Yeah, I think you're right to be concerned. Um, I think, I think, I think you're, you're right. So the Saints looked really good, as usual. Somehow Sean Payton's offense doesn't miss a beat. They scored 34 points. <laughs> Last game, Rams-Dallas, Sunday night game, big NFC East game for us uh, as rivals of the Dallas Cowboys. Offensive pass interference called to Michael Gallup on the on the Cowboys' last final drive under two minutes. Jalen Ramsey drew the call. Uh, it looked like a push-off. It was, it was one of those weird calls where in live action, the first time that the play happened, it looked like offensive pass interference. It looked like a push-off to me. And part of it was Ramsey did a good job throwing his head back and selling the call. But it was one of those weird ones in slow motion where it didn't really look that much like an offensive pass interference. But hey, the referee called it. 
you said after the game that we're going to make that call every time. As long as you're really consistent, I think that's what that's what I look for in referees is consistency. Uh, mm-hmm. So that it's not just like you're making big calls or not going to make the, the call in the big moments, but just consistency. Yeah, I totally agree there. I mean, I actually I would disagree. I saw the play live and in slow-mo, and I think it was inarguably an uh, OPI, and I thought that was the exact right call. I mean, the thing is, you have to understand is, and the more I watch this piece, the PI, what gets called and what doesn't, it's a little bit like basketball in the sense that you can use your body, you can go vertical. So when cornerbacks and wide receivers get physical, like with their chest, with their, you know, getting low, typically refs are okay with that. What they don't like is seeing a bunch of the hand play and the grab rear end kind of play. So I think when Gallup, basically, I saw it, to me, it looked like he stuck his hand out to keep Ramsey away. It's basically, to me, an easy OPI call. I think the refs did the right thing. With the huge caveat that I might add that I'm I'm an Eagles fan, and any time the Cowboys lose, it helps my mental health. <laughs> well, moving on to week two, we got a bunch of really good games again this week. I'm going to highlight uh, four, just like I did last time. I think that's a good number. I'm going to do that you know, for the rest of the season as long as until the bye weeks really start hitting. Four games this week. Number one, because you're here, let's start with it. L.A. Rams versus your Philadelphia Eagles. Mike, take the floor. How are you feeling about this matchup, and what are you expecting for for this Sunday? You know, it's funny. After what I just said, I know you're not going to believe me. I think this is the game we kind of storm back and win. Like I said, I think— <laughs> 15 and once. I think so. I, like, here's the thing. I think Doug Peterson, like I said, loves to torture the Eagles fans. So just when things always seem like they're, they're absolute worst, that's when we that's when we actually he's able to sh- at least string together a win or two. I, he's always outcoached McVay. I'm still frustrated that he didn't get coach of the year in 2017, and McVay did when we had a better record. He beat him head to head, and then we ended up winning the Super Bowl to further prove that. I think he Peterson has always had the edge on McVay for right now. Of course, he was also he was four zero in opening day games, so you know tendencies can break. So I think he has the edge on on McVay. I think having getting Lane Johnson back is going to make a big difference. I think Miles Sanders getting back. I will say, and I'm never rooting for an injury, especially one of my own players. I am concerned that Wentz gets injured with Aaron Donald working against our inside. Uh, Beast, I Aaron Donald. I, I think I think he could have three sacks in the first half. Wow. I mean, he's he's our right guard situation is not good. I think Kelsey's strong, but Donald's the kind of guy who makes even good players like Kelsey look look silly and makes backups like our guy Heidberg look like they shouldn't be professional athletes. So I'm very concerned about the Donald, what the plan is for Donald. But I think having Johnson, I think having Johnson back, Sanders back, I think Rieger and Jackson both showed some juice. I just think it's about getting the protection right because I think. Wentz really does want to air it out to them. Yeah. And our tight ends still look strong. So I think it's going to be like a close, I think it's going to be a high scoring game that we win like a close, I want to say 30, 27, something like that. Interesting. Well, that game is this Sunday, one o'clock on Fox. The Eagles are the home team and they are favored by one point. I think you guys have the better quarterback. Uh, So, so, so I think you guys will win this game. Also, West Coast team traveling east for for an early start that has led to in the past some very inconsistent starts from the West Coast team because it's 10 a.m. their time, and also with the COVID restrictions, they won't really be able to get there too early this this year uh, because of all the travel restrictions in place to prevent uh, 
catching and spreading the virus. Second game that I want to highlight is just going in time order of the day, a 4 o'clock game, 4.05 on Fox, the Washington football team against Arizona. Arizona was one of your teams this summer that you were really high on, and especially their quarterback, Kyler Murray. He was really good in week one against San Francisco, played really well against that vaunted defense. How are you feeling about your Arizona Cardinals and Kyler Murray in this match against a great defensive line? I'm big on the Cardinals, as you talked about. I'm big on them this year, and I think it's going to be an easy win. I think just because we stink, <laughs> football team is good. Like, I feel like people, way too many people are confusing this fact. Like, we're not good. Like, I remember a friend of mine texted me because we were trying to make a trade in fantasy. He's like, Mike, your team, you, you were telling my team trash and you just lost by 40. I'm like, just because my team stinks doesn't mean yours doesn't. <laughs> good, to like see, uh, good to see friendships forming in the fantasy football league. Oh, of course. I mean, do do they ever form? I think you just I think you just join with your friends and hope it doesn't end the friendship. <laughs> and I think just that the Eagles had a monumental collapse. I mean, seriously, we're talking about a catastrophic collapse, and the Washington football team won by ten, which is a solid win. But there's also an important stat: the Eagles' defense did not allow any points when the fo- when the Washington football team started on their own side of the field. All their points came off of turnovers and short fields that were poor offensive play. Like I said, our offense collapsed in a way I've never seen before. So I think with Kyler Murray and D-Hop and like a team that actually just beat the, the vaunted Niners, I think it's going to be Cardinals. Easy. I think I, I think it's an easy Cardinals win. Yeah, I think so too. This, this has a chance for Kyler Murray to have a couple uh, – really great highlight plays like he did last week of the rush is coming. He can escape the pocket, get out of the pocket and make plays with his legs outside of the pocket with, with his arm. Uh, I think this could be a really big game for Kyler Murray in some people were saying he was a sleeper MVP pick this year in that offense with Cliff Kingsbury. I think the Cardinals win that's at four o'clock on Fox game is in Arizona. Next game. I want to highlight this is a 425 start on CBS. The Baltimore Ravens are traveling down to Texas to face off against the Houston Texans. Potentially the two best quarterbacks in the AFC in, uh, you know, obviously behind Patrick Mahomes. Lamar Jackson versus Deshaun Watson. Rivals, friends, two of the best quarterbacks. Uh, they played a great game last year, a great matchup. What are you thinking for this matchup? Game is in Houston. I like Houston in this one. I would like. I'm going to probably take the Ravens. I just think the Ravens are a really strong football team. I think they just have more good players. Uh, the Texans did look pretty. They look solid against the Chiefs. I mean, it's hard for any defense to look great against a team led by Pat Mahomes with Kelsey, Coach Reed, Tyreek Hill. But some of the, at least their acquisitions, mainly in the form of David Johnson and some of their receivers, look pretty solid. But I would still take the Ravens. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, Lamar is great. I was a little concerned. There was a couple throws that he got bailed out on last week. The first touchdown pass to Mark Andrews was not a good throw. He made a phenomenal catch in the end zone. I think this Houston defense has a chance to be pretty good. I think they have a good pass rush with J.J. Watt leading the way. Uh, and I don't know. I think Deshaun Watson makes plays, and he shows up in, in really big games and in big moments, having an extra week of practice to get that rust off from last week. Uh 
I think he has a, a chance to put on a show. That's why I'm taking the Texans. I think at home he's going to put on a show. And if it's close, the Ravens eventually have to start losing some of these close football games, you know? Right. All right. Yeah, I, I, could, I could absolutely see that. All right, moving on to the last game of the week, Sunday night game, New England Patriots at Seattle. Uh, Sunday night, 8:20 NBC. This has a chance to be a game where we really feel the effects of the coronavirus as Seattle's known for its vaunted home field advantage with the 12, their fan base. Uh, yeah, 12 and, men. and there'll be no fans in, in the stands, obviously due to the pandemic. Cam Newton in his first marquee matchup. Pete Carroll used to be the coach of the Patriots back in the 90s before Bill Belichick. A lot of storylines here. Russell Wilson dominated in, in week one. I think that this, you know, I think this is a, a toss-up game. I'm rooting for the Seahawks. A part of me is just like the Pats won Super Bowl 46. They're going to beat him again. I, and again, I'm going to sound like a, the ultimate contrarian here, but I, I take the Seahawks, but I, it's really honestly has less to do with the matchup with the Patriots and more to do with the fact that as an Eagles fan, and I promise you any Eagles fan who listens to this podcast agrees with me, the Seahawks kill us. Like, I don't think I've ever seen Russell Wilson make a bad throw. In He's incredible. I, incredible. I've, I've never seen it. I think they have to go out to that. The Patriots have to go out to them, right? So it's in Seattle. Yeah. Right. I think that the, the no 12th man is going to be a really interesting phenomenon to observe. I think it's going to be Seahawks. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, I think the Pat. This is what Belichick does. The dude's a machine. Yep. They, they win football games. They win in prime time. They they know what to do. All right. So in recap, the four games to watch: Rams, Eagles, one o'clock on Fox; Washington, Arizona, four o'clock on Fox; Ravens, Houston, four twenty-five CBS; Pat Seahawks Sunday night, eight twenty NBC. Mike, as always, really, really appreciate. Uh, all the time and, and your expertise on the Nuggets, the Eagles, and just the world of sports. So really appreciate it, and I uh, can't wait to talk to you soon, bud. All right. Love you, D. Thank you. Of course. That'll do it for this episode of The Double Double. If you like this podcast, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast, and you can subscribe, rate, and review. Five stars would be much, much appreciated. You can also follow us on Twitter at DBL underscore DBL podcast. We'll be back later this week. Until then, take care and make it a great day.